0: Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast.
1: A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens.
0: My name is Eric Lefebri.
1: And my name is Jessica Tercero.
0: And this week we watch Pet Cemetery.
1: Ooh. Ooh. So, yeah. What's your history with Pet Cemetery?
0: Uh, very little. It's none. I mean, granted, that Ramon song, uh, the titular song for the for the film. Um, Is kind of the only, like, thing I know about it, apart from it being a Stephen King book. I kind of knew what it was about, about, like, things coming back to life. Um, But that was sort of it. Uh, I'd always intended to watch it, especially when the remake came out. I remember thinking, like, A, I love John Lithgow. So, like, him in a new scary reboot where he looks like, not the villain, but, like, he looks scary. I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, I'll watch it. Again, never did. So, this is my first complete fresh introduction to Pet Cemetery in general. Yeah. How about you? Do you know anything about the did you um, know anything about this before? I
1: think I watched this at some point, but the like original? I don't remember it. It was very yeah, the original and it was pretty forgettable or I've seen like parts of it <laughs> or I knew what it was about ish, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know what, maybe I just watched Frank and Weenie and thought that I watched this. It's... Um, very similar is the better take but anyways (laughs) uh, we won't get into that i guess you can listen (laughs) to our other episode but we had tried so when we first started this pod it was like episode 10 or something we were going to try to do this one and i had watched the entire first movie and had to stop and i said hey can we not do this and it was because one of my favorite dogs in the world had just passed and it was really hard i i Luke Dog is the greatest, and I baked him birthday cakes and everything, so it was like it was a little bit too you know, even though it doesn't really have to do with church or the you know the the cat or anything but, like it was still like I need a break from this, yeah, it's so still, <laughs> it's still
0: pet death, which is like hard, so a hundred percent yeah, totally I mean again, that's part of my hesitation from like getting into this where like even though that's not like any recent trauma that I'm experiencing, it's still just like, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to watch it yet. Yeah. But.
1: But we did it though. We so did. This is, I've actually seen the first one twice now because I rewatched it. Okay. Um,
0: Stan. Uh, uh, biggest fan um, in the world. I Stephen don't King re- is I shaking.
1: I didn't remember it. So I was like, okay, I guess I have to rewatch this. Um, but yeah, uh, and then the new one, I didn't even realize there was a new one, but I also love John Lithgow. So yeah. I was like, okay, cool. Okay. Did
0: you ever watch, did you watch Dexter?
1: I did watch Dexter, but only up to season two.
0: <gasps> okay. The Dexter heads in our fandom. Let me make sure that I know exactly. Uh, I think it was season four. Season four. Okay. John Lithgow is a main in season four of Dexter. Dexter as a whole, oh. some of it was interesting. I feel like most of it was not great, but I was watching every season up until the last. Um, season four is, I think, by far my favorite. Um, he plays the main uh, villain, and I have never seen better acting from him. Really? It was so chilling, and it's it's been so long. I watched it when it aired, which was, what, like 2007 or something, but he is so chilling, and there's like a couple scenes where it's just like, it's, it's wild. So he, I love John Lithgow, and I mean, obviously everything he's done, but when he was in Dexter, he was so good and so scary, and Jesus Christ, chilling, so, 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 so good. And I loved that he was in this. And that was a big pull for me, of like, getting or wanting to watch the remake.
1: Yeah, I will say that's what made me kind of excited to watch both of these movies. So the yeah. first one we have um, Herman Munster, right? <gasps> yeah, At which like he's like the quintessent, like his voice is like just so quintessentially burned into my brain. Literally, um, he's delightful. I love him. And then uh, we have Tasha Yar from Star Trek star trek the next generation before Worf was introduced as a security officer it was tasha and she got killed in like the worst fucking way and i think it was something uh, i think she wanted more money or more screen time or more like development and the writers were like no boom and then they like killed her in no like this shit. really it's pretty iconic how and like fucked up how she how she was killed but i was like cool it's tasha and it was also so cool because she was a woman as the head of security kicking ass like so i was like fuck yeah she was the mom she was the mom okay
0: see because i know her from dante's peak
1: i don't think i've seen dante's peak it
0: was such a seminal piece of cinema for me growing up being like a child um, it's scary it's just a doomsday movie it was like around the same time as armageddon there
1: were like three other volcano movies at the to- same time too to-
0: it was like total impact armageddon dante's peak like oh there was this whole there's slew like a- another
1: volcano one yeah but like a
0: whole a whole slew yeah. of catastrophe disaster action movies i mean that one was just really sad because there's an iconic scene where like they're stuck at their cabin in the woods, and the lake turns to acid because of the volcano. And in okay, order to like, you
1: know what? maybe I did watch this.
0: In order to like save She's a dog that? or something, the grandma ends up like wading into the water to like save <gasps> I them. Do and remember you remember this? Yeah, oh, you like watch God. her dissolve in the acid as a means oh, of self-sacrifice. God. Super terrifying and devastating. Very very sad. But I believe she plays um, the mom in uh, Dante's Peak.
1: Okay. I'm obsessed. Yeah. That yeah. that was like so watching both of these I was like oh, I love them and that yeah. was just kind of as far as it went. But we could get into that. Do you want to get into it? Should we just do let's it? Let's just
0: let's just go. Okay. I'm so I'm so on board.
1: At Ludlow, Maine, Dr. Creed and his family try to settle into their new home, which apparently includes a local pet cemetery. The family is greeted by old man Judd Crandall, who shows them around their property and gives them some information about the new town they live in. The next day, Lewis is at work when a dying student, Victor Pascal, is brought into his office. Though Lewis is unable to save him, the spirit of Pascal visits the doctor to warn him about crossing the deadfall barrier beyond the pet cemetery. Some time later, his wife and children go visit family over the holiday, leaving Lewis alone with the family cat Winston Churchill, a.k.a. Church, who is immediately hit by a truck on the road bordering their house. Judd finds out and takes Lewis beyond the fowl, deep into the forest, and has Lewis bury the cat at an indigenous burial ground and makes him swear not to tell a soul about what was done. The next day, Lewis wakes up to find Church back in the house, but is a little off having his gentle persona placed with a more vicious one.
0: A while later, the family is back together picnicking in their backyard when their son, Gage, wanders into the road and is killed by a truck. Things are messy, a fight breaks out at Gage's funeral, Lewis's wife and daughter go back to her parents' house, and Lewis is left alone contemplating burying his son in the indigenous burial ground. Judd tries to dissuade Lewis from doing it and blames himself for Lewis's current predicament. Even Pascal shows back up to discourage Lewis from his plans, but Lewis, delusional with grief, doesn't listen and digs up his son's body from the graveyard to rebury it at the burial grounds. That night, Gage returns home and kills Judd and Lewis's wife, who came back to check on him. Lewis wakes up, finds the bodies, kills Church, and eventually Gage. Then, because he didn't learn a goddamn thing, he buries his wife at the burial grounds and is subsequently killed by her. <laughs> yeah, legit.
1: Oh, you had something to say first. Oh,
0: yes. Okay, so just a second ago in the intro, I did say that she was in um, Dante's Peak. That is not true. She is in Deep Impact, but again, these movies all blended together in my mind, so one of the big catastrophe movies. Anyways, okay, so Pet Cemetery. Uh...
1: So, this movie was a goddamn mess, and- <laughs> yeah. It felt really disjointed. I really didn't like anybody. Nobody liked each other. But everything bad happens because men don't want to confront reality or their feelings or talk about things like. He literally buries the cat because he doesn't want to tell his daughter. He just can't tell his daughter. And Judd is the one that, you know, says like, hey, let's do this, right? So like, you know, this is just kind of like cyclical behavior or like, you know, uh, patriarchal values passed down. And literally it destroys everybody, which is a cool concept. And I like that high level. But watching this happen is just It's not as well thought out or put together, I don't think, as it should have been.
0: As a whole, I 100%, I love the idea of the story. I love, because to me, it's like both films were sort of like, it's like a tale of the horrors of grief and regret. And a lot of that comes from like the lack of communication. And because we're seeing these patriarchal family structures, it's like on the men to shed, not shed, but like take the brunt of the burden of trauma and of like whatever without communicating the realities of the world and i think that is such like a gross male thing like talk to your kids like you need to be able to talk to your children you need to be able to talk to your wife like there are so many times where it's like both of them are like i'm feeling fucked up and it's like what's wrong i don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. why this is like your partner talk about what's going on like I don't i don't get why nobody's talking and like it's just so annoying and but to me that's the whole point and it's really great to see because it's like grief is so hard especially like i could not imagine losing a child grief is incredible it's so psychosis inducing and like it's awful it can be so 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 hard and this is like when you try to do things alone and you try to like change the reality of these moments through the psychosis of grief this is what happens and i'm like that's a cool story I'm like, you need people, you need people you love, you need people you trust, you need people who care about you and who you care about to be there for you when life deals you the most impossible cards imaginable. Mm -hmm. And this is like a a cautionary tale of like, don't hold it in, don't like try to change what it, it, like just accept things as they are, go through the process of grief, but be around people who you can be vulnerable with and this is like everybody being like well I can't talk about it and it's like um, what's her name talking about her sister and like I which is a whole thing that I really want to get into but like she she can't open up about it she can't talk about it she's like held on to all this which I get is hard but that's her whole thing is like not being able to talk about it not being able to talk about like being vulnerable with her husband about like except when she's like near death about like how there was some resentment in the fact that like they had to take care of her and all all this. Like I just
1: like, yeah, everybody in this story has this intense amount of trauma and grief that they haven't resolved. So like, Lewis and his family, their way of dealing with that, to a certain extent, is running away, right? So they leave the big city to come here. And Lewis, in particular, is a person that, and I mean, everybody really, doesn't want to try anything that, like, you know, they're not going to go to therapy, they're not going to try to talk about it or anything. They're literally going to try to do the thing that's the easiest, that, like, absolves them of guilt. There's a lot of moments where, like, you know, Judd is like, oh, this wasn't your fault, this wasn't your fault, right? But like Judd also has like from killing that guy, from like his dog, everything that happened, from like, you know, losing his wife, like he's literally what Lewis would become if he didn't die at the end, right? Where he is surround he's in this house that he's lived in literally his whole life, surrounded by, you know, all this memorabilia from his life before and what happened and has literally nobody, no community, no no friends, no nothing. He's just sitting there and rotting in his aloneness. But like even when he tries to reach out to the family across the wave, right? He's trying to like do that as like, I don't know. It's not really him helping himself. He's like, oh, I'm trying to help others when he hasn't even dealt with his own grief and then things that have happened to him. So like there's a lot of times where you go through something fucked up, you have to resolve it. You have to try. And if you don't, and you just start wildly telling people what to do um, and do things that you did because, oh, maybe it'll turn out different. Maybe church won't be an asshole like my dog was, right? Then all you're doing is just ensuring the cycle continues, right? So like, really, this is like, a movie where the tagline should be, everybody needs therapy. (laughs) Like, Um, and
0: and it's, and 100% too, just like in terms of life is hard and things happen that are excruciating. Talk about it. Like, you're allowed to feel these ways. Like, the way that Rachel cannot let this past with her sister go it's fair because it was traumatic and it was hard. I mean, can you imagine growing up like it's just it's just an impossible situation like just in terms of, of, of growing up and now you have this like traumatic burden where you're like, I feel like a bad person because I wish she had died. But also like I, I wanted to be there for my sister and I feel guilt about not being there for my sister every day, but simultaneously holding that space of like, God, if she had just died, my life would have been so easy. Those yes. are complex emotions. You're allowed to feel them but she girl 30 years later like ta- ta- like i don't know and i know it's hard but you got to like you got to for- you got to talk about stuff and forgive yourself and like communicate literally go to therapy like literally talk to somebody it's so to me it is wild that <laughs> this movie ultimately is just talk about your feelings literally talk about your feelings
1: To me, I really one of the things I really well I really didn't like Rachel as a character for a lot of reasons yeah. um, one just fundamentally she's overprotective she's disheveled she's distrusting she always apologizes for everything she's not allowed to have an opinion you know she's literally pleading like hey please come with us to Thanksgiving like I just want to be around you and he's like yeah no and there's like the the other conversation where like they're fuck. first of all fuck them for not fixing their cat and just letting him roam around fuck that that. fix your goddamn cats yeah um but then the dad is like or lewis is like if this guy's like because mom is like oh well you know just tell her it's gonna be fine and he's like okay, fine. But if this cat dies because his nuts get cut off, you're explaining it. And he's just like, got this, like, he's really anti this cat getting fixed. And I think that's some projecting of like, it'll make him less of a man, right? Like him projecting onto this cat. And again, mom is the bad guy because she's like, oh, get the cat fixed, right? Or, you know, like, In every moment, she's kind of seen as, like, incapable. I feel like there's never a moment where, like, oh, yeah, she's a good mom. Oh, she's a good wife. Oh, she has some fucking redeeming quality, (laughs) right? But especially when it comes to her sister, I really hated the depiction of the disability in this. I think it was really awful and grotesque and they tripled down on this whole narrative in the next one, which I fucking hate, which Um, really
0: bummed me out too, Jess. Yeah. It's one of my least favorite tropes in horror films in general, like the grotesque visualization of a physical disability as something to be feared as something to be afraid of. Like, (laughs) <laughs> what it, what was what? So what did her sister have?
1: Do you remember? Spinal meningitis.
0: Spinal meningitis. Mm-hmm. Um, an awful thing to go through. But suddenly she's like, I can't even look at my sister. She's so ugly. It's like, stop. What do you like? Calm. And then just them showing us like, mm, you can see her spine, and she's like crawling. She's a monster. Like, I'm so bored of that. Like, it is such a belittling and like tone deaf thing it's just like and not even tone deaf I, I need to stop saying that because I feel like that's also ableist language but like it's such a uh, it lacks any sort of empathy for the humanity of people going through these really tough things mm-hmm. in a way that further subjugates them and emphasizes like that people with disabilities aren't people that they are their disability and yeah. that thing is something that you should be afraid of and it's like get over it we know horror nothing film like about get the fuck sister. over this Yeah, We know nothing about her. We know nothing other
1: than she has spinal meningitis, she can't get out of bed, and everybody's afraid of her. And a lot of that, too, Like, and I know that she's like the family dirty secret because they don't talk about her, and they put her in... They basically put her in the back room to die, right? Yeah. Like, and which all of this is fucking awful, fucking disgusting, but then, like, to further that by making it terrifying that she has this disability and that I'm afraid of her because she's a monster, like, it It is one of the grossest things um, and the things that I hate the most when they do this in horror. And I was so fucking disappointed, and we'll talk about it in the next one, that in 2019, they decided this was not only a good thing to leave in there, but this was a good thing to make even more grotesque and awful. And also,
0: um, to double down on the Zelda character a little bit, um, to make this character even more scary, they got into the fun gender thing of making the female-presenting character be played by a male actor. As oh, if did ch- they? Yeah, because Zelda, the, the sister, was played by an actor named Andrew Hubacek, and so it's to further emphasize the horror in like a really transphobic way. To be like, isn't she so gross? Because she sounds like a man, like it's bo- it's tired it's tired and it's messy and let's stop it's an old film and I, I understand that, it. but it's so it's so boring and tired and i i have a huge problem i also with that. didn't
1: understand what that added to the story because judd's trauma added to the story right like the dad had or lewis had like he was just like overseeing dead people i think or like you know the busyness of chicago a uh, chicago er right yeah like and, um, and being, so being like that
0: kind of doctor is traumatic and i understand yeah that, like, the the influx of so much death and violence like it's gonna get to you so but yes what
1: does what did this add to it and like literally if you wanted her to have trauma you could have done literally anything else like literally yeah. so i fucking hated this um i think Out of this whole thing, I think the only good actor (laughs) in this that I really liked was Ellie. And she was just crying most of the time, like, because she was worried about her cat, or, you know, she's asking these complex questions. And I like that she kept putting her parents on the spot where she was like, you know, what happens when you die? You know, what happens here? Is my cat okay? I keep seeing this person called Pascal, and he tells me something's not right. Can you tell me that everything's okay? Like, she's the one that's like probing and trying to, like, she wants to accept things. She wants to just know and not be lied to, right? And her parents yeah. are instead, again, like cyclical trauma and all that are just like, oh, yeah, nothing happened. And it's
0: just say so, say it, like talk about it. I don't, it's just like, I know that parents are trying to like keep their kids safe, but I think life is tough and some things are difficult to talk about, but like that's the burden of being a parent. That's part of it is like, you will have to discuss these things with your kids and you should discuss them with your kids because and that's the reality. And you should discuss them with each
1: other. You should discuss yeah. them with people. And if they don't learn how to talk about this stuff with anybody, like, I mean, the parents are going to be a safe space, Suppose, like, Ideally, the parents Ideally. are a safe person to talk to about this stuff, right? So, like, if they don't learn how to communicate about these hard things with their parents who are there to, like, help them find the language and to, you know, find their confidence in expressing themselves, then who? And, like, that's what we see with, you know, I mean, obviously um, I keep wanting to call her Tasha Yar. Um, Rachel's parents are fucking awful, you know, and just go straight to abuse and name-calling and putting people down and, the, and stuff, right? Literally
0: the whole, like- Like I'm going to fight your husband at the funeral of my grandchild. What? Like you let him run in the street. It's like, well, to be also fair, I had so much like that whole scene. I'm like, Oh, you mean the, the, the very easy street to walk onto where there's a big fucking red truck that keeps speeding past at hundred miles an hour. You're going to have a picnic 50 feet away from that. And you're going to fly a kite 50 feet away from that. Like, In my head, I'm like, oh, this is so dumb. Like, go into the woods or go into find a meadow somewhere or go
1: inside. Or you're a doctor, you have lots of money, and you've obviously been in this house for a good deal of time. Build a fence.
0: Build a fence. (laughs) Literally, build a fence. Build a fence.
1: You know, keep your kids
0: safe. Build a fence. At least just to that side of the road where, like, if they want to yeah. run out there, they're not going to, like, go around it. They're going to be like, oh, I can't get through this. Hey, mommy, daddy, can you help me get my ball or whatever? Like,
1: right. Oh,
0: my God. It's just so – it's it feels like these parents are so helpless and bad at being parents because they don't know how to be themselves. They don't know how to be there for each other and they don't know how to – and it's one of those things where, like, the, the restricting of information – automatically imbues that information with a level of shame. So it's like they're so shameful and they're so like hurt and distraught and they're like, my life is so unique because I have these traumas. Babe, it's not unique. We all go through a lot of stuff And that's not to diminish that, but you need to fucking talk about it. And you need to be able to talk about it so that way you can be a good communicator for your kids because they don't know you're teaching them that it's bad to talk about stuff and that is bad parenting. You fool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's also on the topic of this like little stuff like so Judd, who's like supposed to be the one that's passing on the wisdom of this house and of this space and of... What is here in in their area, right? And the history of kind of the town or or the the spaces that they're inhabiting, right? The way that he talks about men and women really bothered me too, where he was saying like you know the iconic line, uh, "the soil of a man's heart is stonier," and. He kind of uses that to absolve them and to be like, oh, well, you know, we're just a little bit harder and we're a little bit rougher and it's harder to get down to us. Right. And then when he talks about women, he says that they're good at keeping secrets and that they haven't seen into a man's heart. Because men inherently just, you know, keep everything private and shielded and hidden and rocky and so that way nobody can kind of get in, you know, or they hold these traumas like you were saying, right? They, they're the ones that hold all the trauma or all the grief and everything. So that way they don't have to. But like, I don't understand where the women keeping secrets and then them not seeing into a man's heart where that intersects. Um, because- and I don't like any of that, that language at all.
0: It's so boring, Jess. This, like, gender roles are so boring. They're so boring. Like, well, men are just this way, and women, like, shut the fuck up. Do some work. Like, literally, in what you just said, well, men are just this way, so I'm not going to try. Meanwhile, women should do the work to get to me because I'm just this way, but the women can change to make sure that they discover who I am because that's just me, and you have to do the work for me. Men are so lazy and that idea of like, I can't change because all men are this way. Bullshit, it's boring, and it's fake, and it's a lie, and it's 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 silliness. It's silliness that you've been fed, it's silliness that you've been told. Unfortunately, that is the case. Do some work. Like, literally mm-hmm. do any amount of work. And understand that, like, no matter how you present in this world, you still have to like work on yourself to be a better person. Like Spend some time on learning shit. It's so, I I agree with you. That language is so bogus. And then this, I was just like, ugh, whatever. Like, get out of my face. It's just, it's boring. It's and that boring. Being, it's
1: regressive. Yeah. It's, um It's reinforcing things that, like, aren't even real. <laughs> you know? Literally. Like. It, oh,
0: my God. It's just, it is It is the fake reiteration of the binary and of gender roles. and.
1: Right. And I because think Because of that, also, it's just
0: harmful. Like.
1: Like, when he takes Lewis over the deadfall, right, and he's, like, telling him, like, don't stop, don't look down, don't do this, you know, like, it's because men can't think or look on their actions. They just have to fucking do it and not look at where they're stepping or what they're doing or they just just can't look at it.
0: Don't think critically and don't consider how you affect what's going on and what the things you're going to do. Thank you. Do it blindly because you have to, because you're a man and the man does this. Um, This also dips into the conversation about the way that like indigenous, not lineage, but like indigenous lore plays into this movie, which yes. I think there's a level of recklessness, especially coming from a white person and white 100%. people in a story about whiteness, about like the lore of native, like, ethereal concepts but I do like and I don't think this is intentional I do like the idea of whiteness as a colonialist power and the way that it ignores the structures procedures and the the sensitivity of indigenous cultures and indigenous traditions like these white people are like I found some dirt up there that'll bring people back to life and it's like this indigenous land and we can just do it it's like Okay, yeah that's whiteness <laughs> like you you're just no one's there to stop you and even if they were you wouldn't stop right like there
1: have been warnings but Despite like i mean the, the land
0: literally being like do not go here we're gonna try to stop you this is bad we're gonna make this really scary don't go here don't do this and they're like we should do this right like nothing's telling us not to mm-hmm. um It is, it's not funny, but it's just, it is an accurate representation of white colonialism as it stands in the sort of uh, theft of what is now North America in the way that our society treats, even to this day, native uh, individuals here. Um, I think it's just, it is, to me, that was my favorite part as an allegory for white colonialism. And again, I don't think that's intentional. I don't know... Stephen King's intentions I've done very little research on this because again this is my first time seeing this film and I know it's based on his book but I do think that there is a recklessness especially in the idea of like magic or in like um the
1: mysticism of like non-white cultures I think just in general has been like a movie trope for a long time And and it's
0: used so recklessly yes and so To me, it's not a commentary on white colonialism. I mean, it it literally is white colonialism at work. Like, in the establishment of the story, disregarding sort of native tradition and, like, the reality of what some of these traditions were and not really looking into that, just using keywords and, like, being like, oh, an ancient burial ground, okay. He stumbled accidentally, this movie stumbles accidentally into a really funny allegory for white colonialism. And that, to Mm -hmm. me, is the best part. Uh, because it's like, yeah, of course. Like, that's, don't do that. Like, leave that shit alone. Stay home. <laughs> don't <laughs> go do that. Like, you <laughs> thinking that all of this land, everything that is here is for you, is the reason everyone died. Because you don't know how this works. It is not yours. You disregard everything about this all the signs telling you don't do this don't do this don't do this you're like well i can do this um you're a problem and no offense but you deserve what you get
1: (laughs) i mean truly right like this movie everything sucks everything (laughs) sucks uh i don't know how much more i can say about this because this movie also like wasn't really Deep. It was pretty surface level on a lot of stuff. And I think that some of these yeah. conversations that we're having are maybe reading into it a little bit, which like stories matter. And whether intentional or unintentional, you know, the ideas and themes present in stories is important and impactful. But yeah, I, I mean, I just I don't have a lot more to say about this. I made have for just TV a TV movie.
0: I just have a couple more notes. A, I love laundry shoots and I miss them. B, when he was getting in the tub, I legitimately thought that they were gonna show ball. They did not, but I thought they were. They did not. Um, love the incorporation of the truck driver singing the Ramones Pet Cemetery song. <laughs> <Yes>. Love diegetic <laughs> music and film, especially when it's like the titular song. He's driving by the pet cemetery singing like, I don't wanna be buried in a pet. So it's just like it's great, it's cute, I love it. I love the truck idea of just, like, that being scary thing. It's in the next one, too, and it's a big... It's a it's a yeah. huge part of the story. Scary as fuck. Because that is so... Ter- like, just that is a real, real idea of death. So scary. Car accidents? Cars are insane. Big cars are so scary. And, ugh, I love it. I love that part of this movie. Um, winner line of the film, when... <laughs> She's calling him. She's at her parents' house in Chicago. She's calling him to be like, what's up? What are you doing? What's going on? Should I come back? And he's not answering. Her mom is like, he probably went out for a hamburger or a chicken dinner. You know how men are when they're alone. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, So uh, good. Oh, you know how men are. He's probably out getting food. Like, it's just
1: is it's like You know how men are.
0: (laughs) He went out for a hamburger or a chicken dinner. You know how men are love it it's such a it's such shade it's such like a it's such a dig like it means nothing and it's so funny and it made me chuckle so winner winner as she said chicken dinner In Ludlow, Maine, Dr. Lewis Creed and his family try to settle into their new home, which apparently includes a local pet cemetery. The family is greeted by old man Judd Crandall, who shows them around their property and gives them some information about the new town they live in. The next day, Lewis is at work when dying student Victor Pascal is brought into his office. Though Lewis is unable to save him, the spirit of Pascal visits the doctor to warn him about crossing the deadfall barrier beyond the cemetery. Sometime later, his wife and children go to visit family over the holiday, leaving Lewis alone with the family cat Winston Churchill, a.k.a. Church, who is immediately hit by a truck on the road bordering their house. Judd finds out and takes Lewis beyond the deadfall, deep into the forest, and has Lewis buried the cat at an indigenous burial ground and makes him swear not to tell a soul about what he has done. The next day, Lewis wakes up to find Church back at the house, but is a little off having his gentle persona replaced with a vicious one.
1: A while later, the family is celebrating their daughter Ellie's birthday, who wanders in the road when she sees church and is also killed by a truck. Things are messy. Lewis's wife, Rachel, struggles with the loss of her daughter and guilt over killing her sister. Gage has visions of the very dead Pascal. Overall, it's a lot of turmoil. Rachel and Gage go back to their parents' house, and Lewis is left alone contemplating burying his daughter in the indigenous burial ground. Judd tries to dissuade Louis from doing it and blames himself for Louis's current predicament. Even Pascal shows up trying to discourage Louis from his plans, but Louis, delusional with grief, doesn't listen and digs up his daughter's body from the graveyard to rebury it at the burial grounds. That night, she returns home and everything is fine in a fucked up way until Rachel and Judd get involved. Ellie, feeling unaccepted, kills both of them, knocks out her dad, buries her mom in the burial ground then comes back to kill dad and bury him. Then the whole family comes back for Gage, who was left alone in the car.
0: So they took some twists. They did some turns here. Before um, we
1: like dig into all of the bad stuff about this, I do want to say that I felt like the film flowed a little bit better. It was much better connected. Um, I felt like that the family felt actually intimate like they liked each other i liked the introduction to the cemetery a lot better the dinner scene like everything felt a lot more natural dad even talking to the girl uh talking to ellie about um death and you know the whole like mom is like very religious he's sciency like i like that kind of tension that we're bringing in even though i hate that fucking trope um dad actually like showing weakness i thought was cool like not being afraid to do that the dream sequences were way cooler the gage and ellie swap was interesting i think i liked that better so a lot of these a lot of the elements that string everything together i think were much more intentional and really cool and made the story flow well yeah however i
0: i completely agree as a whole, I think it's a much more well-told film. I like it a lot more than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the swap. I love that we give voice to Ellie a little bit more. So there's, yeah. it's not just like Gage comes back and he's a Chucky doll. It's like, what do you mean? I'm your daughter. I'm dancing around in the home. Like, I'm back. Like, him giving her a bath, terrifying. Right. Like, and he's also, like combing her hair and then he sees the monster. staples from the autopsy fucking Girl.
1: monster how he brushes her hair like i i mean even if she wasn't dead that is absolutely incorrect and wrong and i was screaming he's he's, he's a bad dad
0: he's a bad dad yeah. but i think they got everything about like the conversation around like not being able to communicate and grief and like the struggle that it brings like i think about the the scene when his wife calls him while he's in the car. And she's like, can we just like talk about something? He's like, I'm really wiped out, honey. I can't talk about this. Mm -hmm. Hangs up, cut to the shovel. He's out of the car, gonna go dig up their child. The way he acts through that scene of like, he is not present. He is so pulled out of the reality of what's happening because of his grief. So fucking good. Like, I was so into it. I feel like they got all of that right. I feel like Church was way scarier in this. Yeah. Like, them just walking in and church literally sitting on top of gauge in his crib. I was like, that's super scary. Church is so scary. I'm really into this. Um, I, yeah, I feel like there was a lot, a lot done right here.
1: My favorite line for church uh, with the subtitles on, because I watch everything with subtitles because (laughs) um, I'm not a monster, was when uh, the subtitle said, raged purring. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was so cute. Same. Uh, That was one of my favorite moments of the film.
0: Yeah, that cat deserves an award. That cat was great. Um, I still am really upset (laughs) by the way they treated Zelda in this. Um, because they she like was so much trip. more part
1: of the movie, right? Like Which before it was like, oh, well, my sister died and she, you know, and I maybe. And in, in this one, she's a pivotal point of the story to the point to where mom is like hearing her on the roof and in the walls. And then... Mom also kills Zelda is the reason why Zelda died because rather than she was so afraid to go and just see her sister that she gave her food in the laundry chute, making her sister who's bedridden get out of bed to try to get her food to sustain herself and be alive, and then her sister literally fell down the uh, the laundry chute or you know was it a laundry chute? yeah fell I think, down. I think it was
0: like a dumb waiter.
1: Yes, that's right. Fell down the dumb waiter and. Died, Just blood coming out of that thing. Like, so, fuck that.
0: So, to me, I will say, I like that they made, not, like, like in, in a story about trauma and in a story about regret and in a story about not being able to communicate and how that eats away at your soul, I think making her be the reason her sister died is so much more compelling. True. Because it's like, I'm literally the cause. It's not like we let her die. It's literally... I did something that caused her death. I catalyzed her death. That makes it so much more severe and it makes the stakes so much higher. And that idea obsessed with, but they literally turned her sister Zelda from a, from a, a a bad memory into a monster in the attic. Like, by making the sounds creaking, crawling, like, she's literally a monster who's going to come and get you. The memory of her is this monstrous, grotesque thing to further enable the conversations around monstrifying people with disabilities and making people with disabilities scary, which is just gross. Like, it's the big no, from the first one and they literally tripled down on it like what if we made her like contort like the girl from the ring and she comes down and she's like lifting the thing and like there's blood and she's like I'm your sister like stop we don't we really don't need it like we can know that she killed her that's enough like yeah you don't absolutely. have to make the sister the monster it's enough for us to know that she caused her sister's death that is so traumatic and so scary and so sad that is enough To get us to empathize with this mom.
1: And again, the way that, that she views her sister as a child is, you know also how her parents view it too right because they aren't being loving they're not being you know they're also terrified of her everybody's afraid of her just because she looks different right because she has this disability and she's literally locked away in the attic right and i agree with you i like that rather than maybe being absolved of like you know her part or like you know wanting her sister to die like it was very intentional like no your fear And inability to accept her as who she is, is what caused her her death. You are directly responsible for this. And I also really liked that the fact that she didn't deal with it, right? Like, and so... Uh, The mom in this story in general is just incredibly dismissive and projects her trauma onto everyone and everything else where she can't see anybody else. She can't hear anybody else. She just like she's just stuck there because, again, she hasn't tried to resolve it. She has this incredible guilt and everything. But she's still afraid of her sister in all of that too, right? And I think that that is much more compelling and is really interesting, but I really don't think that we needed... There was a way to do this without dipping back into the body horror or into <sighs> like the fear of disabled people, right? Yeah, like, and... the, fear,
0: the fear of people with disabilities in general. I mean, the world is already doing that. Like, the world every single day in is reminding able-bodied folk and able people... <laughs> That those people, people with disabilities, are less than and are monsters. Like, our culture is designed to forget about them. Mm-hmm. That's like, we're already being fed that. We I mean, already look know at this. COVID. And it's our job. At how
1: this is, literally. is treated now. Like, <sighs> I mean, nobody and cares about <sighs> anybody with disabilities in these spaces when they are still the literally. most vulnerable. And the whole world is moving on from this thing that will yeah. literally kill. Uh, anyways
0: 100% and it's it is a reminder every day and it's something that like we have to actively remember and to engage with and to change and this movie does not do its part in helping change that narrative when it knows it should because to me i again i like that the idea that she killed her sister stakes high great but she does not see her sister as a person first mm-hmm. she sees her sister as a monster and so i understand the in her memory her sister is a monster not a person but I think the more compelling aspect would be what if the sister's memory when she's coming back to like haunt her via her internalized shame is she is a person first and a disability second because right. then it reminds her that like I was a person and you never saw me as that. You're a bad sister. You're a bad person because you never saw me as your sister. You saw me as a burden and you saw me as a disability and I'm a person and you never Saw me as that you're a bad person. You killed a person, not a you monster. Killed, you killed a person, not a monster. Like that yeah. would have been emotionally so much more compelling.
1: Instead, it, oh. we got like uh, we got. Oh, you're <laughs> gonna end up just like me.
0: Literally, you know? like oh, the fear you're gonna be disabled. To like, what does that say? Like, what are you guys saying with that? That is so like showing her watching her spine sort of like come out of her skin in the bed, like, haha! now you have the thing that, like, stop it. It's so ableist and so gross and it's so, like, transparent. It's... It's... It's boring. It's boring as fuck. And I, like, I'm so... Ugh. It's... Ugh. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it so much because there are so... People are so smart and so creative. And I love smart, creative people. And there are so many ways to, like, see the humanity in these characters, which makes it more compelling. It makes it more compelling when you see the humanity and... There were so many good ways to do this that were ignored because they're sticking to the Like if you're already delineating from the the original text, like the original material, you're already making choices like switching the brother and the sister. Like you're doing you're already doing a lot.
1: These are good narrative choices, too. I want to point that out. Yes. But like I'm hesitant to say that I like this movie just because of. How prevalent and how much they double down on like the, you know, fear of disabled people in this yeah. story.
0: It's a big struggle. And it's also why I'm a little hesitant to be like, this is a good movie because I don't think it is. And it's largely for that reason. It
1: could have been. It could have if... been good.
0: It's just, it, and again, it's just a reminder that like people with disabilities are so tossed aside. They're so forgotten. They're, so, they're disregarded by society every single day. And it's like, it's just, it's gross. It's just a, I mean, granted, it's a nice reminder to be like, oh yeah, like, this is in the the shit we consume. Like, even if we're not paying attention to it, it's like... It's there and it starts to become ingrained in us, and that's why people just ignore it. And it's also, and part of I, the, you just talk about stuff.
1: Part of the problem with know. this, too, I think, is Lewis's reaction to her talking about this. Um, and this is something that non disabled people do, too, right? Where they're like, oh, yeah, I get how you're afraid. It's fine. He says, he still says the line where he's like, your parents never should have left you alone with her, where it's like, why? All she she has a disability and she just, you know, needed some help. That's it. So it's too much to ask because it's scary or, you know, like I just I have a big problem with that. Like, again, he's trying to, like, absolve her of her guilt. It's like, oh, well, she died because she deserved it is basically what he said, you know, and that's again we're talking about like this group of people that is just left out of every conversation (laughs) and is often the subject of these sort of fears or you know like especially in horror and it that line really bothers me too because her dad is a doctor like i mean lewis is a doctor right he understands this is a medical condition if anybody is sympathetic to someone with disabilities in the story it should be lewis but instead as a doctor which you know i don't think the story meant to do this but i think this is really a a good sort of theme is like doctors also don't give a shit and think that they deserve to die but the story didn't mean that but that's what i you know but
0: but it's but it's a it's inherent bias like and that just it reeks of the bias of a lack of empathy and a lack of of seeing people with disabilities as people. And, and mm-hmm. it, it came through accidentally in the same way that the first one, there's the notion, the conversation about like white colonialism, like that's not intentional, but because of the bias of its creators, it's there. Similarly with this, these people do not care about people with disabilities. And so in the story, of course, some of the characters are going to be a little bit ableist because they're written by people who totally are also ableist, ableist you, mean? you know what i mean <laughs> like it's well, just going to happen because that's coming from the mind of somebody who does not see people with disabilities as people
1: and like they even you know get into it with like um the maid right in both films who we didn't talk about in the last one where oh I she know. has stomach issues so much so that she's doubled over in pain and she's like well i didn't marry a doctor so and he's like I guess there's the line of like, well, I could look at that for you, which is I don't think he really meant that in either film. But like she's literally in so much pain. And because she's in America, she can't go to the doctor. She doesn't have that sort of access. And so she just has to live with this pain that has ultimately like from what we know of this character stopped her from going anywhere doing anything having a life having relationships having personal relationships right she's just a person that has a medical problem that you know society just wants to go away she's a maid that nobody gives a shit about and so when she kills herself nobody cares nobody even really talks about it it's just for the viewer and like so we're still talking about, like, who do we see as people and who's deserving? And that's also, you know.
0: It also, it, like, quietly dips into, like, privatized health care and the experience of being a non-Native and American. And, and, and capitalism wealth. as it stands and how, like, existing here without the privilege of having been born here is just so ostracizing. And in some cases a death sentence because you can't, you can't receive help and in the in same way cases
1: they didn't this is not a commentary that they meant right i mean yeah, this woman just... is literally doing their laundry and doing their chores for them yeah. and they could care less about her he's a doctor he has drugs at home just give her give her some pain meds you know like i don't understand why that needed to be there especially if like it wasn't such a big conversation you know like you know if it wasn't being intentional with what it's saying about you know privatized healthcare or classism or you know people with disabilities or anything like that it's just there because why it doesn't add to the story
0: yeah it just i mean (laughs) it just makes the other characters unlikable because i mean it shows their inhumanity right like it's just like oh no okay let's move on like
1: did she come? She didn't know. even come back as like another spirit with Pascal, right? Like, yeah. Which also in this movie, Pascal is the only black person. Yeah. And literally, we I see mean, uh, the first time uh, we see him is when he's dying, almost basically yeah. dead. So cool. Which okay. Was,
0: it's it's not a cute look. I know there's an intentional like there's an intentionality behind casting black actors as opposed to an all white cast, which. It was not all-white cast with the exception of the one maimed victim. And the whole time we see him, his brain is like, we're seeing the brutalized body of a black person the entire time. Which, mm-hmm. it's a horror movie, and I understand that. But like, come on. That's stupid. Like, that's bad. That's, that's not good. <sighs> the more I talk about it, the more it's a bad movie. And it's a mess. I hated that is a joke
1: to to be so intentional with some of the story decisions that were made and you know to be intentional in helping the fluidity and things like that. I mean, every marginalized group in this story, you know, whether they're poor, non-white or you know uh, disabled, is just shit on. And like I feel like this is a story that was written by white people and you know white able bodied people that didn't really think about anybody else and how this was being portrayed. Because again, there are some really cool things when we pull this out and when we're talking about, you know, like you just had like an incredible idea like where you could punch this up, right? Like bring in consultants if you're going to try to tell these stories or try to tell stories of marginalized people, like have them write it or at least have somebody be a part of the conversation.
0: Or, and I know that like with a lot of these systems, especially when making movies, um, there are so many eyes and so many hands and so many decisions being made. But like, and I know that shit moves fast. So like maybe there's not a lot of time to like spend to like punch up or reconsider or rewrite, whatever. But unfortunately you do have to spend a little bit more time than this. Like I'm sitting from a place of privilege, obviously having seen it, having not worked on it. I'm, I'm looking at it completely as a critic, but come on, like you can't keep perpetuating these toxic stories like these toxic tropes like i mean you can and it happens all the time but it's so harmful like understand that this is going to be consumed by so many people and there are going to be people out there who see themselves in this and they their takeaway is going to be like oh i'm not a person like Mm -hmm. i'm a monster i'm i'm bad like do you want that is that is that the whole thing because i feel like in horror part of what makes horror so great oftentimes is like it is subversive it is getting into the hard conversations via cinematic horror tropes like you're 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 taking the concept of grief and you're making it a conversation about growth and i mean obviously it's going to be scary and bloody and whatever but like that's the point of horror is that there's a lot of messaging in it that can be said through allegory and if you're going to do this be better at like having a foundational base of a story that you want to tell that is like meaningful and interesting and subverts the expectations that have already been bestowed on us by the world like that's the point like be subversive be interesting use person first language and like structures and and ideas and and like i mean that's way more compelling like because these these people are bad like even the going back to the conversation about communicating with your family like Another part of this movie that I thought was really interesting, Lewis doesn't want to talk about anything to anybody because he's a big, strong man and he's going to keep it inside and he's just he's a big, strong guy. Right. Um, literally after his daughter is brought back to life, he's on the phone with her mom, his wife. She's like, does mommy know about me? She's like begging like and I know this is like the bad version of the daughter, but she's literally begging him to talk. To his wife and to recognize Mm -hmm. her. And he his response is, I can't do this. She's begging you. She's begging you to talk. She's begging you to be vulnerable. She's begging you to confront your actions. She's begging you. And you say, Oh, I can't do this. Yeah. Okay. Big strong man, big weak baby. Come on. Like that is so bogus. And and it's intention and that is a choice. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great choice to poke at this very crucial part of the story, this lack of communication, I'm like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. But then with the other stuff, it's like we couldn't give less of a shit about Mm -hmm. the people with disabilities and how we're making them monsters. We couldn't give less of a shit about the one black character in this movie who the only way that we see him is if he's brutalized on screen. We couldn't give less of a shit about anything else. I'm happy that this is being talked about and I'm happy we're talking about um, toxic masculinity and the way that affects and inhibits proper, vulnerable communication with your loved ones. Love that. Interested in that. But there's way more to do here, and you had the time to do it. And at every point, you could have subverted something or switched the tro- like, like spun the trope a little bit, or 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 had a bit of a pivot in conversation. Um, you literally just lean so hard into the problematic aspect of it that it's like, oh, okay, well, that was also a choice in the same way that you're choosing to discuss these pitfalls in communication. Um, And so for that, I'm just like, well, fuck you. Like, fuck that. That's so silly and bad. And it just, the more I think about it, the more I struggle with it. Because again, some of it worked. Some of the choices worked. Most of them didn't, unfortunately.
1: And going back to what you said, where, you know, disabled people... Oh, you know, any any minority group will watch this and be like, well, I'm poor. I don't belong. I should just kill myself. You know, well, you know, I'm disabled. I, I don't, I'm i not a person. I don't belong. You know, like. So for those people to watch this and to just be like, well, I I don't have a place in this world. Right. And there's also just like the uh, cis wet or cis het, you cis know, able bodied, <laughs> you know, cis wet. <laughs> The cis, het, white, able-bodied, middle-class people that watch this to just reiterate all of the worldviews that they already have, which is disabled people are awful and not people and scary. And uh, if you're poor, then you don't deserve to be alive. You know, like all this stuff. It's like, you're not challenging anybody here. All you're doing is just working to continue the normalization of these awful ideologies.
0: No, it's 100 percent. And that's why I'm it's, it's boring, because, again, it's doing nothing but reiterating the the status quo. And I do think the beauty with art and the beauty with storytelling is you have the ability to change the status quo with your fucking words. How cool is that? You can do that with your little brain and you can go out and you can make stuff and it can change people's minds. And that is the power and the beauty of storytelling and creative. It, that's the beauty of art. Um, so I really struggle when things like you spend so much time and so much money and so much effort in creating something that only its only goal, it seems, is to reestablish, to reinforce and to reinstill the status quo. Why are we making it like why? What's I mean, I obviously know why we're making it because, again, that's why we're doing this podcast. It's a nostalgic cash grab. There are remakes of everything. We understand this. We know, we know, we know. But even with that, I'm like, as an artist, and again, I know that there are probably better ideas that got shut out because the whole process is so laborious and so taxing and scary and changing at all times. I get it. But ultimately, it does become a product, this thing. And I feel like this thing, from a creative standpoint from an artistic standpoint in what it's trying to do the message it's trying to convey especially with its changes from the original i feel like with all that it did fail for me at almost every level
1: absolutely and it's just
0: it's unfortunate
1: the little girl is like like ellie i liked that in this she's trying to get everybody to see that they're bad and that their choices are bad right and I love like, that she I love that she called her mom out on like killing her sister, right? She she is not fucking around. But she's the one that died because that sort of um, honesty or like curiosity doesn't belong in this world either, because, you know, you don't need the truth or you don't need to challenge, you know, the status quo or these things that are being told to you. Like, so by her dying instead of Gage, who Gage was very innocent, whatever, like, I think it's almost more sinister that Ellie died because she was starting to find herself in the world and to ask these important questions and to, you know, try to get her parents to be honest, right, with their decisions or, you know what they've done or you know talk about like what does heaven mean what what is you know medically scientific stuff how what is change you know but like
0: you know what i love that uh that is that is so right that is so correct um i love that because (laughs) it makes it more sinister 100% but yes literally she's like I died because of your lack of communication I died because you did not give me the tools to to grow autonomously in this world as as a, as, a, as a person who like sees the humanity in people and sees the humanity in the world because you guys tried to stifle the reality of the world I died and now I'm here to fuck your shit up because you guys don't deserve to live in this world either uh, which as an idea I love right. it Love, um, but oh god, Uh and this is a struggle because that kind, that like everything is right there. It's like right there. Like these moments are like oh, they're so there, and then we like no, people with disabilities are monsters. You're like. Okay, like, mm, but we don't do that. <laughs> I love when
1: we go through these movies and we just like find way better ways to rewrite them. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God, Eric, we should just be a consulting <sighs> w- team and we should just rewrite these scripts for people.
0: I want to work in this industry so bad. I want a writing job so ba- Okay, legit though, if you're listening, go read my fucking scripts. <clears throat> but I really do want... Uh, that. I want to be a part of it. Like, I love the idea. I love breaking things down. I love writing things. I love creating because, like, it's so fun. And, like, you get to do whatever the fuck you want when it comes to these ideas and the way that you're, like, going... The way that you can, like, communicate change through art. Oh, my God. It's just so cool. And it's so overwhelmingly cool to me. And that's why it just bums me out when, like, stuff like this gets so close to the point and so close to, like, a positive... Momentous change in what they're trying to say, especially in a very beloved IP in this nostalgic like cash grab. When they get so close to being like, "Wow, this is like exactly what this movie should have been," you guys did it, and it's so on for like the social com this the the social conversation around all of these things. You guys nailed it. When you get that close, and then they were like, miss the point completely. It's so frustrating because you're like. Ow! Like, oh, you guys almost had it. You almost did it. Um, but again, I'm just one person with one opinion. Like, you are one person with one opinion, and I understand that that's not the case. But at least for me, that's how it felt. Yeah, they were so close to like really, really good moments, and they said whatever. I mean, even still, like the Achilles heel in the first one when Gage cuts cuts his the Achilles tendon, yeah. um scary as fuck achilles tendon horror is like one of my scariest i saw Hostel one time and i was like i can't do this um <laughs> cutting the achilles tendon for some reason in my head is so much scarier than like any sort of maiming or like body horror stuff that just cutting that it makes my soul ache like the idea of cutting the Achilles tendon on somebody's leg, <gasps> Jess, it's like, it is a—it is so scary to me. It is so terrifying. And in this one, obsessed the Mr. Rex when John Lithgow's in the room, and they're going to do the same scene where it's like, she's under the bed. He, like, looks down at the bed. We see that she already has a scalpel. She's about to cut the shit out of that tendon. And then he just, like, kicks the bed, and she's not there. You're like, <gasps> <laughs> yes misdirect and then as he's going down the stairs she's like haha gotcha and then like from the staircase does it and it was like every time i'm not kidding hand to screen look away like <laughs> i for some re- i can i can view a lot of things because i understand that I'm, it's all fake like i get that but for some reason that the achilles tendon <sighs> it's so scary to me it's so it's like the scariest thing and i don't know why well i know why it's like it immobilizes you literally will not be able to walk so it's like an immediate immobilize uh, like immobilization of it but also just like cuz the, the tendon is so tight in your leg that it's like going to snap and like uh-oh. I don't know. It okay. fucks okay. me we up. Okay. we need
1: to stop talking about this cuz now I'm thinking about that and I'm like I can't do this. I Any know. sort of like I can't <sighs> watch like I'm whatever. It's so warm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Anyways, so warm. um this movie Surface yeah. Level was more <laughs> fluid, which was nice and, you know, the the characters were actually characters, uh, you know, but um in our deep dive, I think that, you know, I think we did a good job on our deep dive, just saying. I think
0: so too. I mean, my last note really is just uh, the girl who played Ellie looks like a young Drew Barrymore and she she slayed, she, she did really great. did a great job. I loved her in this, um, she was nice and scary. Uh, I also like great. the
1: uh, the ending better where she killed mom and then buried her. So she's recreating the family that she wants. Right. We're talking about like change and recognition and all of this. And I yes. really like that.
0: Same. And again, it goes back to like getting so close to it. The conversation about like what the family I deserve And she's making that happen for herself. She doesn't want this version of her parents. She wants a version of her parents that's real. And to her, the reality of that is people who are willing to confront these issues head on, which she is very clearly displaying in these moments of communication or attempts to Mm -hmm. talk to her dad, agreed. That ending, I liked it way more. And like them walking to the car with Gage, Gage still in it and then like walking up to the car and then church jumping on the car where it's like the whole family's dead now. <laughs> and right. it's like, what? And it's sinister because it's like, oh, they're gonna kill him too. And it's like sad and scary. And like it is the right it's good.
1: It, it was the was a right great ending.
0: ending. It was the right yeah. ending. Yeah.
1: Okay, so we're back from the pet cemetery. Eric, the yeah. first one, uh, who was it for?
0: Um, the Ramones. For the <laughs> Ramones, 100%. They they came in here and they slayed the day with that that song. It's so good. I've never seen this movie, so like now listening to the lyrics, I'm like, of course the Ramones are going to write the most basic shit. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I'm like, that's literally the plot of the movie. Um, congrats, Kings. Like you did it. But it's also a catchy fucking song. Yeah. It is one of my favorite Ramones songs. So um to me, it was for the Ramones. Who do you think it was for?
1: I think it was for the cat that played church <gasps> because there's the <clears throat> moment where they're given an entire steak to like just chow down on. And I was like, You get it, cat. You get it, kitty. This is for you. Also, can I just say I thought it was hilarious that anytime the cat was on, they had like that generic um like just the stock sound bite of a cat being mean or like you know I thought that was so funny but it's
0: like the cat's Wilhelm scream
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> so that's who it was for yeah um I love that did you like it
0: um truthfully I like parts of it I like the idea of it I think I might like the book. Maybe I should like read this the actual story from Stephen King cuz I like the premise. I love the concept as a movie, not really. I honestly didn't really give a shit about it. It was it was like it was fine leaning bad, unfortunately. Cuz I I did really want to like it. I like Stephen King. Um this is a classic, but uh with my present perspective, it was a little boring. What do you think? Did you like it?
1: no it felt so boring i like could not give less of a shit about anybody in this movie (laughs) even though like literally they had me like right away i was like herman munster and tasha yar yes let's do this and then every scene and everything that happened was just bad i really fucking hated lewis and he was like almost the only character in this you know besides jed who was there you know i don't know i really didn't like this and i will not watch it again
0: yeah same. because it was
1: just really boring and it felt just really disjointed it felt very first pass uh um, big whatevs it, yeah and then like with gage being like chucky at the end i was like okay like come <sighs> and play with me mommy <laughs> yeah
0: which it was like kind of funny because it's silly but like him jumping him jumping down from the attic like chucky was so like yeah. Like, also, okay, him trying funny. to
1: look scary was so cute. You could tell they were like, "Okay, be a big scary monster," and he was like, Ugh. "Like so." To well, me, all those moments were really cute because it was just this like two year old trying to be menacing.
0: <laughs> and then when he like eventually dies to I love he like gets a hit with the syringe. He's like, "Oh shit, no!" And you just like watch him kinda, like lay down, like walk back, and he's like, "Oh damn it, you got me." Okay, I'm gonna go to bed. Um obviously it's sad because he's dying but he's already dead but the acting of it was very like oh this guy like this actor's so cute like he's just like he's just going for it he's trying to be like they told him
1: you're so sleepy you you need a nap so bad like so you're gonna walk over like the sleepiest little kid and then you're just gonna like go to bed and he's like okay mommy (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: he did he did yeah it was it was very funny that whole ending was so funny.
1: Yeah. Um, what about the 2019 version? Was it new, interesting, or the same? Progressive, regressive? Where are you landing on this? I
0: I think it was new and interesting. Obviously new time-wise. I think new in some of its ideas. And I thought like some of the changes they made were really interesting. Again, the ending I thought was much better. I thought the the swap of the siblings for who gets killed, um, I thought that, that was really interesting. It gave a little bit more autonomy and a little bit more insidious scene building with uh, Ellie because she can communicate, she can talk. And like, she was way scarier than gauge uh, totally. just hundred percent. She was great. So I thought that was new and interesting um, as an idea. I think most of it was kind of just the same, like nothing really changed, but the biggest change to me was the incredibly regressive doubling down on the conversation about disabilities and mm-hmm. the way that it kind of just misses the entire point. So that's the biggest chunk.
1: What do you think? I think the same thing. I think it was new and interesting. And like it was the same enough where it was the like, you know, the same premise. But like the things that they changed were like really interesting and really cool up until it, you know, got into the regressive things that they were doing with, you know, um, Zelda and with, you know, just everything that we talked about it. Felt like this movie could have been just, you know, I mean, we just punched it up, like literally just fix these things and it would be great. Um, I mean, but, and even
0: if not great, it would be better. It would be better. Like, right? I'm sure we could, like it could be a, an It'd excellent, be excellent movie, but. Yeah, there there were already such like good primed ideas that. Also, um, so.
1: I was sad that those masks never came back that the kids were using and stuff. I was like, oh okay, we're yes. doing this, and then they talked about like the Wendigo and like I was like, okay, like what are we doing? Like let's let's get into this. Are we going to have like mythological creatures? Like cool, but none what? of that went anywhere, and instead they decided to use the screen time that could have been used on that to like you know to go into um just Zelda's disability.
0: Seeing those kids with the masks in the trailer, I was like so scary, so cool, I love this. I'm so interested. One scene with the kids, then Ellie has the cat mask one other time and that's it. And I was like, "Oh. That was so disappointing." And similarly, I mean, talk about like doubling down on on whatever bringing up the Wendigo just in terms of like native lore and native native culture um, the way that they were so reckless with like yeah it's this and that and whatever and it's like we don't have to bring that into this we like, don't have doesn't, to do it right. you're already doing the messy burial ground situation and now suddenly you're like what's another native piece of culture that we can bastardize in this world like for what like that literally right. never came back up apart from the shape-shifting of the daughter which I think that's the intention. That's what they're trying to say is like, like that's who she is. Right. But to me, Which, it's then just, is
1: making indigenous culture, the villain,
0: of the, the villain. Film. Yeah. And so, so to me, it's just another one of those things like, don't even bring it up. Like, why did we bring it up? It's not yes. a cool. It's not crucial to the story. You're really just talking out of your ass. Cause you don't know what this means. You don't know how it affects or is affiliated with this culture. So don't talk about it. Like it's like, mm-hmm. Again, it's just more cultural appropriation. We didn't even get into it, but I had a lot of feelings about it. As soon as he <laughs> said that word, I was like, Oh my god. Like really, uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Problems. Problems.
1: I totally feel that. Um, <sighs> who do you think this is for? Um I'm gonna say
0: Starcrawler, the band who did the cover of Pet Cemetery oh, yeah. for this film. Because it gave them the chance to do a cool, iconic cover for a cool, hopefully iconic film. Unfortunately, neither really hit. I'm not a big fan of the cover, but I think it was a great opportunity for them. Vibes, who do you think it was for?
1: Um, I think it was for, I'm going to say it's for the artists that made The Masks. Because I feel like that artist maybe came in and was like, Oh, cool, these are gonna be a big part of the movie, like we were thinking, right? And they're like, This is gonna be so sick. And then they just weren't. But I mean those masks were one of the most interesting things about the film and probably like cost the most yeah, I liked them a lot. And I think that they, they should have been in there more.
0: Were so good. They were so good.
1: Um, did you like it?
0: Um when we came into this conversation. I did like it. Now, not really. Do I like it more than the first one? 100%. Uh, I want to like it really bad, but you know what? Eh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it on an eh. Eh. It's a big eh to me. What well, Did yeah. you like it?
1: Um, Coming into this conversation, I was going to be like, this isn't terrible. Like, this isn't bad. Like, other than like, you know, the glaring disabilities conversation. Uh, This is, fine this is more enjoyable and i think that's another thing is i was just comparing it to the first one so it wasn't like objectively is this a good movie or objectively do i like this but i was comparatively like i like this so much better than the other one um yeah but yeah i don't think that i liked it i will not watch it again i thought it was just kind of big eh.
0: i feel the same way
1: yeah so that's where i stand anyways (laughs) um Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: Please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on all of our social media. We love to see you there. And it really helps us out. Uh,
1: OMG. Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebri. Our editing is by Danny Barkley. And thanks again for listening. And thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. And remember, stay cute.
0: And stay critical. Good. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by The Nostalgia Network.
1: Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Eric. I'm Shelby. I'm Jake. And we are the band Lousy Advice from The Lousy Advice Podcast. Come listen as we draft artists and genre-centric best-of lists.
1: With the help of our closest friends.
0: These lists are canon. And there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. From misfits to share green day to gaga or pup to paramour listen to the lousy advice podcast now or else stream us on spotify apple Podcasts, the nostalgia network or wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget that we are the band lousy advice and this is our podcast the lousy advice podcast the lousy advice podcast the lousy advice podcast podcast